so you need all three levels of expertise. Would you not agree? You need the CFO to be able to help you interpret what's going on and make adequate plans. You need the tax preparer to make sure you're doing things in accordance to help you minimize your taxes. And then you need the bookkeeper to make sure that all the things are reconciled and all the transactions are in there. So both the financial planner, or pardon me, the CFO, as well as the uh, tax preparer can give you adequate advice. Is this really how this should work? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've got so I know we might talk about this a little bit later in the show. I do have a book coming out for lawyers that's around the finances. And I actually talk about there are five key positions for your finance department. And you just listed like four of them. You have your accountant slash bookkeeper, right? Who's making sure the books are good. You have your tax preparer. You have a tax planner who is really a liability reduction specialist, just like you're talking about reducing taxes. Then you have a CFO. And you need someone that's in your corner helping you plan for retirement. Those are really the five positions that you should have in your finance department if you're a growing law firm owner. And all five of them need to be on the same page. Absolutely. Hey, law firm owners, welcome to the Your Practice Mastered podcast. We're your hosts. I'm MPS. And I'm Richard James, and today we're going to have a fantastic conversation setting you up for the new year because we're rolling into the fourth quarter. Maybe when you're listening to this, we're fast into the fourth quarter, and you're going to want to hear from our guests today about the financial decisions you're going to need to make to set up your 2024 for a winning year. Today, we're talking with Ryan, Michael. I'm pretty excited about that. How about you? Yeah, the net profit CFO. Super excited for this conversation with Ryan. Ryan, welcome on. Thank you both for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation today. And Richard, you're exactly right. I mean, we are rolling into quarter four and we are hitting this at a really good time. Always excited to talk finances and help law firm owners. So, Yeah, I I tell you, I always try to get my clients and members and Michael does as well. I mean, he, he focuses a lot on the sales and the marketing side and the lead conversion side. And I do too, but then I dive into the profit and loss when it comes to the fourth quarter so that they're ready for what's happening in the the next year. And there really are some big decisions you have to make right now, not only to set you up for success all year long, but really some decisions you have to be making in this fourth quarter. But Michael, let me let you kick it off. Yeah, you're spot on with that. And, and Ryan, why don't we break the ice a little bit? What's maybe one thing that not everybody knows about you? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. I think one thing not everybody knows about me that I don't talk about a ton is we are a dog house. We are a dog family here. We have two Great Danes. So I've got two big dogs in our house. We we love big dogs. And from time to time, we also foster. So, you know, we have Great Danes that are well-behaved and um, we work with a local no-kill shelter here. And sometimes they'll have a great Dane that comes through that, you know, needs to learn some good habits so that they can go to a good home. And so we will actually foster a third great Dane. And it's really fascinating to see how, you know, they usually learn from our two very quickly, right? On what they do, how to behave. It makes it for a full house because we'll have, you know, three dogs that are over hundred pounds, but I enjoy it. My wife enjoys it. It's something we love to do. It's a good time. Is that Marmaduke? Is he a great Dane? Yes. Yes. And Scooby-Doo. And Scooby-Doo. Okay, great, great. Good. As long as I want to make sure I had it. What's that? You've got three ponies at the house. Basically three small, three three ponies. Michael, you have the opposite of that. Yours is a French bulldog. (laughs) He's 
the, yeah. the Great Dane can pick him up and play with him like a toy, probably. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, he he's built like a you know he, he's built like a tank, but you know he's much smaller than a Great Dane, probably about a quarter the size, if not less than that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I love it. And so that's pretty cool. You get to foster uh, a Great Dane every now and again that comes through. That's a pretty cool experience, I would imagine. It is. Yeah. I mean, it definitely takes patience, right? Because we really are trying to retain them. I mean, especially, you know, especially if we get one that's younger, right? A year or less, they're still in training, right? But our dogs do, I mean, our dogs are really nice. They get along with any other dog that we brought in the house. And, you know, so they, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Takes patience and it's a time investment, but it's fun. Awesome. Well, I I appreciate you sharing that. That's definitely cool. Something unique about yourself. So tell us a little bit more about your journey as an entrepreneur. You're the net profit CFO. Tell us a little bit about how we got to that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. That's been, you know, about an eight year plus journey here, but I'll try to give you guys the short version. So, you know, obviously my background is in accounting and finance, right? That's what I went to school for right out of school, worked for another CPA firm. And and we were doing bookkeeping and general ledger accounting for law firms predominantly, probably 80 to 90% of our clientele. And we were remote before remote was the regular thing, right? So I worked nationwide um, with around 200 law firm owners, you know, with their books, with their accounting. And I was very young, very green in my career. And along the way, I had a couple of law firm owners, you know, I'm going to kind of paraphrase, but they kind of asked me, you know, we really like the work that you're doing. We appreciate that you produce financial reports for us and let us know where our receivables are and that kind of thing. But it would be really helpful if you could give us some advice on these financials and really tell us how we could improve our business based on the numbers that you're seeing. And I was so green in my career, I had no idea how to go about answering that question. And so that really, you know, I always had a passion for working with these small business owners and working with these small law firm owners I really wanted to kind of figure out the answers to those questions and really be able to help them, right? And long story short, you know, that partnership ended, or that CPA firm ended up dissolving partnership problem. So I moved on and I really spent, you know, I, I worked corporately somewhere else for the next two or three years at a larger company, but I really spent days off, holidays, vacations, chasing mentors and trying to find answers to those sort of questions. How can I really help small business owners through their financials. And along the way, found a couple of really great mentors that I've been privileged to learn from. And today I'm a part of a larger CFO organization, the CFO Project. And we really have a system for helping small business owners improve their finances through a financial dashboard. And that's how I got to develop. You know, I always knew that I wanted to have my own firm and get back to that one day. And when I got done working corporately, I kind of shifted out of that and got back into my own firm and had the answers that I felt like I needed and had the mentors that I felt like I needed and was able to launch the Net Profit CFO. And today, that's really all the work that I do is you know work as a part-time CFO and work with law firm owners on their financials. I love it. Love every day. And I'm probably going to work till the day I die if it's my choice, you know, yeah. God willing, because I just willing. love it that much. So God willing. Yeah, I, I feel the same way about what it is I do. I tell everybody all the time, I'm probably not going anywhere. I'll be doing this, you know, in my 70s. I don't see me retiring. I might play golf more, 
than I do now. But although my wife and some would argue, how could I possibly play golf more than I play right now? But I, I promise I can. Anyway, I will tell you, as being a small business owner for 35 years, in my journey of being a small business owner, I had several encounters with accountants through the years. And my first encounter was, you know, I'm 25 years old. I bought my first funeral home. I made a hundred grand. My accountant said, congratulations. He said, you know, now I need you to cut me a check for $27,853. And I'm like, excuse me. And, <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, yeah, that's what, you know, you owe in taxes. And, and nobody ever sat me down and showed me that concept and how I should have <laughs> planned for it and prepared for it. Nor, nor did he ever mention plans to reduce my tax liability or anything like that in enough time. And so there was no planning that happened like on April 13th. And I had up the check there on April 14th. And it was at that moment that I realized, okay, I got to do a better job at this. And then I had another company that had lots of inventory and we were on the cruel system. And my gosh, there was so much accounting theory rolling around in that room. And it never felt like it was really great practical advice. And I'd always say, look, you keep saying I'm making all this money, but there's nothing in the bank. What's going on here? And they could never really accurately articulate the difference between profit and loss and cash flow. And it was really difficult for me to manage it. And so through the years, I, I honestly got to develop my own renegade-like accounting principles for small business. And so I have no certifications as a CPA or anything like that. I I, I got a, a, a hundred in accounting in college, but the teacher gave me a D because I skipped all but three classes. So she said, <laughs> I don't care if you have a hundred, you can't just come and take the test. I'm like, well, wait, I don't understand. I got an A. She says, well, it doesn't matter. You're getting a D. So anyway, I had to retake that class because I didn't like going to class. That being said, so I'm not an expert, but I'm an expert in the fact that I had to figure this out for myself as to how it worked for an entrepreneur. And so when I hear you tell this story about real practical advice for a law firm about the information they need to know to help them financially succeed through paying attention to their finances, it sounds logical and like a duh moment, but it really isn't always that straightforward. And most accounting firms do not know how to adequately advise law firms in a way that can help them actually reap the results with cash in the bank. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's true accounting industry-wide, right? I mean, it's not just specific to the law firm niche. I mean, there's a lot of accountants that they cannot get out themselves out of accounting terminology and shift over to being able to talk to a business owner and right. use the language that they're going to be familiar with so that they understand. And it doesn't sound like your accountant is talking Chinese, right? I mean, that just happens all the time, right? And that's really something that I work on all the time. And the folks at the CFO project, you know, they're really a training community for accountants and CFOs. That's something we work on all the time, for sure, nice. 100%. Yeah, I think you're spot on with the speaking Chinese part. Won't get into the details, but fiance got a doctor report back yesterday, all good. But she got that report back and I remember reading it and I was like, be great if they could make like a simple person version of this, because all of these words are way too big, way too complex. And I couldn't tell you whether things look good or not good. It, it was so hard to read. I think the same thing applies for accounting in that same type of philosophy. If you could just break it down into simpler terms and have actionable advice with it, it would be so much more powerful. So I think that's really great that you do that. Now, I'm, I'm curious, along that journey, you know, every entrepreneur has a journey and it's a journey for a reason. So was there ever a, a low point where you took a lesson out of it? There's a few for sure. One of the biggest is probably, you know, just figuring out that 
I've had referral partners kind of call me Midwest nice is what they call it. I, I am from the Midwest. I am, you know, small town, raised and grown, and I am Midwest nice, I guess. And just figuring out that, you know, not every client that, you know, comes to your door and needs your help and is willing to pay you is really a good client to work with. You know, I learned that the hard way and unfortunately, you know, had to fire a client along the way. They were just kind of passive aggressive in email. And I just, you know, they weren't really treating me the right way. And my mentor said to me, like, if this client had talked, like, let's say you had employees, right, that worked for you. And this client had talked to your employees that way. He said, you know, what would you do? And I said, well, they probably wouldn't be a client anymore. And he looked at me and he said, well, then why is he still a client today? Right. And so that was definitely one of the big lessons that I learned, you know, because I am Midwest nice. That's such a great lesson. You know, my wife's license plate says E-C-I-B. It stands for East Coast Italian Bride. That's who I married. And it's been 28 years now as of last week. We're together 36 years. So we are symbiotic. And when we moved from Pennsylvania to Arizona, the West Coast, we're dressed up, was wearing flip-flops. You know, it was uh, a big culture shock. We were not referred to as... uh, Midwest nice, we were referred to as East Coast crazy. Like I guarantee you, they thought we were a little bit off, a little loud, a little brash, a little in your face, a little forward. Matter of fact, I was just on a meeting today. A good friend of mine introduced me to somebody else and he opened it up by saying, now I want you to know, he calls me Richie. He said, and that's not what everybody calls me. He's the only man on the live that gets to call me Richie besides my father. But anyway, he said, I want you to know Richie here. He's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. He's not very nice, but he will tell you how it is. So I love that you're Midwest nice because I love nice people. And I, by the way, I have softened up through the years, but your point is well taken. You know, that lesson as an entrepreneur, which clients to say no to is so important. And we all have to learn that the hard way. I remember we had one prospect. He wasn't yet a client. He wanted to be a client and he just mouthed off to one of my team members, like an assistant of mine in a way, and then sent an email that was equally as harsh. And they were supposed to sign the contract. And I just canceled the order. I'm like, there's no way we can do business together. You can't treat my team that way and think that it's okay. And so, yeah, you got to be able to stand up for yourself and and identify who's going to be right in your world. Michael, I, I think we're pretty much have a pretty good no jerk rule in our world. We don't really let them through the door. Would you agree? Yeah, I just it disrupts culture among your clients, disrupts culture among your team. It just it, it it's like a, a a venom that just wreaks havoc. And so it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's equally as important to know who you don't want to work with as much as it is with who you want to work with. So I think that's that's a very good lesson brought out of there. What what about the flip side of that? Was there like a defining moment for you, Ryan, where like the light bulb clicked and things started to go? Yeah. So I think. <clears throat> probably finding the CFO project and and finding a couple of the mentors that I found and and really learning from them over the span of a few years right and you know <clears throat> I had recently signed on a new client and we were going through their numbers and I really start you know my mentors had kind of given me some questions to ask right as as I was kind of onboarding this client and I really started to realize the knowledge and expertise that I had Mm. um, when I was asking these questions and the way that I was able to dive in and and explain the terminology, right? Kind of like we talked about at the beginning, transferring Chinese accounting over to business owner accounting, you know, that it really clicked for me. And I was like, you know, this is really the value that I bring to the table, right? And 
that's when kind of things clicked. My confidence started to build in my skills, my knowledge, my expertise, and with the program and the system that I've got my hands on and, and the mentors that I have access to, that things really took off from that point. So much to the point that in about a two and a half month time span, I doubled my business. Mm-hmm. And that was a turning point. It was definitely a corner and it was a turning point and haven't looked back since. Two, two big lessons there. One is the fact that it takes time. So you said it took you like four years through that mentoring process. I tell people that all the time. If you're going to learn this new skill of building your business, the business skills, the proper questions to ask, the things you're going to need to do to find that lever point, it it takes time. It, there's no such thing an easy as an easy button. There's a learning curve. And the second thing is, once you do find that lever point, you can have what's called the phenomenon. The phenomenon is the situation where you'll earn five times more money in one year than you earned in the last five years combined because you found that lever point and everything started to take off. And that's what happens in small businesses once they put the time in and they start to realize where those lever points are. And so, Michael, I know you've experienced that in your companies as well. And we're experiencing that through our companies and the different values we bring forward. But, you know, I think maybe we next we should start talking about some financial stuff to get into that fourth quarter conversation. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So you're totally right on that. And and Ryan, so for, for a law firm owner that's listening to this, some actionable advice. What what are maybe a, a quick tip or two to start prepping here as we're entering the fourth quarter from a financial standpoint for, for the law firm owners? Yeah. So first things I would start with, you know, October, November, huge planning months for the big things, you know, for really figuring out what is it that you want to get done in 2024. If you wait till you get into December, it's too late. You'll get into holidays, you'll get into, you know, trying to bill for the end of the year. And a lot of law firms, their activity ramps up anyway. So it'll be too late. So start planning early. That's tip number one is start planning now, start planning early. And then as you're putting together this plan for 2024, I think it's really important. I think there are a lot of law firm owners out there that stop at, I want to make this much revenue and have this many cases next year, right? That's where planning stops for a lot of law firms, right? I'll be honest with you. I'm shocked if a lot of law firms actually plan that far. I mean, I'm not (laughs) picking on them. Honestly, God, I'm not picking on them. That's not... I mean, I, I tell our law firm owners all the time, like running a business is hard, running a law firm's harder, right? I mean, it, because, you know, not, not only is running a business hard just in general, but, in, but when you're a law firm owner, you're usually in the beginning early, at, at least you're the lawyer too. You're doing all the billing work, you're doing all the client work. And, and then not only are you serving the client all on your own, maybe with some support or help, but you also now have these third parties that are fighting against you, the court system, opposing counsel, the guidelines and rules of the law that you're under, the bar association. I mean, you're constantly battling everybody, right? And so running a law firm is really hard. And so it feels like you're out of time. And so what's your suggestion? So the biggest thing I find for lawyers is they or owners of a law firm, they don't make the time. And so how do you help your clients say, look, I've got to dedicate some time this quarter to sit down and plan this out. Like, do you force it on them? Do you make it a mandate of working with you? Do you, is it a strong, I know you're, you know, Midwest nice, but you know, do you, do you tell them, look, this is like a baseline for us. We have to be able to meet in this quarter and talk about this. It is. Yeah. And typically, yeah. I mean, we're sitting down, we're having a couple of planning meetings, right, that span an hour. And when you're my client, I mean, that's part of the value in in working with me, right, is I'm going to help you set aside that time and hold you accountable to setting aside time and really investing into 
building out a plan. I mean, I totally agree with what you just said and managing the calendar can be a hard part, but when you get a plan put together and you know, know what your profits are going to be, not just revenue for next year, all the way down to what your profits are going to be, then you can start to really make an impact in your business and have some, you know, first of all, achieve your goals, number one, but also have the best year that you've ever had, right? And so yeah, for sure. setting a, setting aside a couple hours now can be completely worth it. You're going to have a, a very profitable year next year if you plan this out right. Michael, by the way, jump in if you want to at any time. I got another question though. So I'm always thinking about this, like tax liability reduction. So I assume that's something you want to see them doing at least by the fourth quarter, right? So if you see that they're going to have a really profitable year this year because of the work you did last year, I assume you're going to want them, if possible, if, if it makes sense for their financial plan along with their financial planner to do some tax liability reduction. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's the other important planning part for October, November. And I am not a tax expert. I'll be the first to tell you I am not a tax expert. That is not the sandbox that I play in. Right. But when I am working with clients, I always make sure that their tax repair is in the loop. And when you get to a you know certain size in business, you know, you're doing a couple million dollars in revenue, it makes sense if your tax preparer is not an expert at liability reduc reduction, it makes sense to seek out someone who is. I want to hit that point hard, right? So like not all tax preparers are can be CFOs and not all CFOs can be tax preparers and likely neither one of them are going to be bookkeepers, right? And so you need all three levels of expertise. Would you not agree? You need the CFO yes. to be able to help you interpret what's going on and make adequate plans. You need the tax preparer to make sure you're doing things in accordance to help you minimize your taxes. And then you need the bookkeeper to make sure that all the things are reconciled and all the transactions are in there. So both the financial planner, or pardon me, the CFO, as well as the tax preparer can make give you adequate advice. Is this really how this should work? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've got, so I know we might talk about this a little bit later in the show. I do have a book coming out for lawyers that's around the finances. And I actually talk about there are five key positions for your finance department. And you just listed like four of them. You have your accountant slash bookkeeper, right? Who's making sure the books are good. You have your tax preparer. You have a tax planner who is really a liability reduction specialist, just like you're talking about reducing taxes. Then you have a CFO and you need someone that's in your corner helping you plan for retirement. Those are really the five positions that you should have in your finance department if you're a growing law firm owner. And all five of them need to be on the same page. Absolutely. Totally, totally agree. And I did not know that as a young entrepreneur. Michael, I don't know. I guess you know it because you're learning it from me. But do you feel like you knew it at a young age? Or did you just kind of now you realize you had to deal with it? I, I, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to let you answer that question. How do you think you felt about it before and how do you feel about it now? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, I, I didn't know anything about it. And, and I just did what I had to do. I would wait till the very last minute, procrastinate and just do exactly what I had to do when I had to do it. And that was it. And now I've gotten to the point, obviously, where some of those layers and levels that you discussed, you have to be a little bit more proactive on. And so I guess I learned it just through doing it and getting the experience under my belt. But I absolutely agree with the five layers you just mentioned. I, I think that's spot on. And I think it's, I mean, that right there is a valuable tip for every law firm owner listening to this. Wouldn't you agree, Rich? 
Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. I want to take us in a more, little bit more detail, by the way, Ryan, I want you to make sure before we end today, you tell everybody how they can maybe get a future copy of that book. I think it's going to be a great tool for everybody. So I'd like them to be able to get on your list so you can send it to them when you have it. Uh, but for now, you said that, you know, at the minimum, they plan on how many clients they have and how many revenue they have, if they're going to do any planning at all. What's one of the or two of the or, you know, whatever you feel is right, the number of the key things that they should plan for in this fourth quarter? Yeah, so I would say, you know, the revenue part, definitely, right? Yep. And then there are three main expense buckets that you need to look at. First one being marketing, right? And you need to put a plan together for how are you going to market to get clients? How are you building that marketing machine within your firm to bring clients into the door and grow into the future? Maybe that's you doing it all yourself. Maybe that involves bringing a partner in that can help you do that. So you need a, a marketing budget and a plan with it for the next year. Okay. Part number two would be around payroll, right? And around the capacity that you have in your firm, right? If you're going to grow to X next year, does that require that you bring on more staff? What is your mm -hmm. payroll expenses going to look like? Mm -hmm. And planning for how am I going to be profitable on the staff that I bring in, right? right? That is super important. And then the last thing is just overall overhead. You know, is your rent going up next year, right? The last couple of years, we've seen crazy inflation. You need to have a good handle on those other expenses that go into that overhead bucket, rent, office supplies, all that kind of stuff. And when you have plans for those three buckets and you have your revenue, now you know what your profits should be, right? And so if you can get to that point and plan for those three buckets, now you know what your net profits should be for next year. And that's a really good starting place. And then we can start to look into, you know, what are the items that affect cash flow after profits? But that's the minimum starting place. Yeah, no, that's perfect because Michael, you and I just did an exercise a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah. Where we looked at every transaction. Now we were fortunate. We taught our bookkeeper to make sure they added a vendor to every transaction so that we could run a vendor report in QuickBooks. So we kicked out a vendor report by transaction and he and I went line by line. I mean, there was hundreds and hundreds of lines, right? And I mean, what did that do? Did that feel laborious to you? Like I do this every year. This is probably the first year you and I did it together on our own company. But how did that feel to you? And then Ryan, I'm curious about your advice about what we did. Was it a good idea? Was it a bad idea? But Michael, how did you feel about it? And what did we do? I, I feel three different ways about it. I felt like it was a bit monotonous. I felt like it was necessary and it did feel accomplished after. So although it was monotonous, the other two outweighed that substantially. It was absolutely necessary. And you do get a sense of accomplishment after you get it done. I mean, we freed up, we identified, we, we, what did we use? Keep, kill, and ex, ex, uh, investigate, right? Correct. Yeah. I think we identified like 150,000 plus things that we were going to kill. Like yeah. expenses that had we not looked at, was 150 grand that just would have gotten washed through next year, right? Yeah. You could think what you want about 150 grand, but in Scranton, Pennsylvania, 150 grand still is a lot of money, right? And so it's pretty good income just about anywhere these days. And so for us, <laughs> boy, oh boy. And so Ryan, I'm curious, this idea of, yeah, you know, some of those big buckets we do, but we actually pour into some of the monotony. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think they should do it that themselves? Do you think they should outsource that to the bookkeeper? Is that something you do with them? I mean, what's your general opinion of? I'm just asking, like, if you like the idea that we did or you prefer we didn't do it that way. 
I do. And I, and I think it's really important, especially, you know, now in today's world, we live in a recurring subscription model world, right? And it really, you know, I think started with gym memberships, right? And <laughs> eventually, I mean, it's kind of a ripoff system, right? Because you know, you find the subscription, you think you're going to use it, you use it for a couple months and you forget about it. And then you get billed for it five months, you know, later, further. But, you know, I think it is a great exercise. It's a great idea. You should work with your bookkeeper accountant on it. And I really, I want to put this in perspective too. Imagine if you found one subscription that was costing you $50 a month. Mm -hmm. And let's just, I don't know how long this exercise took the two of you, but let's just say that it took you you know, an hour. Yeah, about that. One subscription, $50. Oh, okay. If it takes you an hour to find it, you just made $600 an hour Yeah. if you were going to pay for it all next year. Yeah, very true. As well, I, that's exactly, you're exactly right. I mean, we didn't find one. We found $150,000. So theoretically, we made $75,000 an hour, right? By, Which by is a good rate. That. Yeah. When was the last time you made that, right? I mean- <laughs> You're not going to compete with it, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm going even the small route, right? Find one yeah. thing, $50 yeah. an hour, you know, or $50, $600 an hour, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the, most attorneys that I know are not billing $600 an hour. Yeah, oh, you're spot right. on. I, I think you nailed it. So Ryan, I'm curious, obviously we heard about the book, but I'm still going to ask what, what's got you fired up and excited today? What's on the horizon for you? Yeah. So two things, two items. Uh, number one, I do have a book coming out. It's going to be bottom line profits, all for all focused on attorneys and helping them improve their bottom line. Super excited about that. And then number two is very soon, you know, right now I am working on the book and going through final edits, things like that. When I get that done, I am going to be launching a financial small group for attorneys. And I am super excited about that. It's going to be, you know, part video course. So it's going to educate, you know, attorneys and law firm owners on their finances. It's going to require one short five minute exercise a day for a span of 45 days to really educate you on your finances. And then there's going to be a small group aspect to it as well that we will meet every week. And I'll really be there to answer challenges and, and you know, help law firm owners with their finances. I am super excited about that. You know, it gives me the opportunity to help more law firm owners. And yeah, that's going to be coming out real, real soon. So I am excited about that and ready to get that started. Yeah, we're super excited about that for you too. By the way, that's how we run our world. We, so we know it works really well. It, it it really puts all the pieces together. And so it's a powerful positioning tool, allows you to, uh, the power of the peer group really works well together. We've seen that explode our attorney's results. And so if you can help them explode those results in a financial sense, that's going to mean a real meaningful item to the bottom line. So super excited about that for you and as well as your clients. Hey, Ryan, I just want to say it was a pleasure having you on today. Thanks for giving a, a peek insight about who you are and your entrepreneurial journey, as well as some insight as to what's going on and what they should do, be doing in the fourth quarter and building that team that they should have in their corner financially. I think this was sound advice. This isn't the this might be the first time that we've heard from you, but I have a feeling this isn't going to be the last time we hear from you. So we're looking forward to talking to you again. Michael, back to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Ryan, just in case people want to do get prepared to get a copy of that, where's the best way for them to do that when it comes out? Yeah, the best place to find my book is going to be netprofitcfo.com. Really simple. It's just my home webpage site. That's Perfect. the best place where they can get in connection with me and, and I will have my book on there and 
make sure that I get that to your listeners. Excellent. Well, Ryan, we very much appreciate it. And to the law firm owners listening today, we got the gentleman's agreement around here. So if you enjoyed the content today and this isn't your first time listening, you got some value. We kindly ask, make sure to drop a like down below, comment, let Ryan know if you got any questions. And then depending on where you're listening or watching, hit that follow or subscribe button, turn those bell notifications on. But we appreciate you tuning in. We love delivering this content to you. Uh, and Ryan, once again, thank you for taking some time to spend with us and the audience today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed uh, the conversation with you guys. So 